being a wife and mother first guides everything because it, that's my value system uh, and an employee second. Even though Coke has been incredibly generous to me and defines me in, in many, many ways, it's not the ultimate thing that defines me. Welcome to Total Refresh, a podcast from Coca-Cola North America that's radically refreshing. I'm your host, Katherine Cherry. And I'm Jamal Booker. On season one of Total Refresh, we're doing something we've never done before. We're inviting people everywhere to listen in as we get real with our leaders. We've got to make sure in the growth behaviors that we always remember who's in charge. So if the consumer is in charge and they want a different choice of beverages, that we need to make sure that we are iterative and agile and that we can get stuff done fighting against historical paradigms that may limit us to give them what they need. Today, we're sitting down with Stuart Kronagi. She's the president of our Sparkling Business Unit and senior vice president of marketing for Coca-Cola North America. So the president of Sparkling Beverages just means that I have the honor and privilege of working on the big brands that have bubbles in it. So think about Coca-Cola, Coke Zero Sugar, Fanta, Sprite, Fresca, things like that. And then marketing, I work with all the other brands with bubbles and without bubbles um, to work and make sure we have marketing in the marketplace for consumers and customers and partners. As someone who spent the last decade learning about Coke's history and how it's thrived for 132 plus years, I'm curious to learn about what the future of sparkling sodas looks like in the United States. I'm really excited to hear more about Stuart's perspectives on women in business. Um, She's been the co-chair of our Global Women's Leadership Council, and she's been really vocal about what it actually takes to balance family and being an executive. Let's dive in. So, Stuart, you went to UNC Chapel Hill. I did. Go Tar Heels. Heels. Um, Why did you study art? What sparked your interest in the arts? I always um, felt like I could express my emotions and kind of my view of the world through art. Art is subjective, and so everybody sees it differently, and some people see it as beautiful, and some people don't see it as beautiful. And so I love that kind of contrast of really understanding why something, somebody loves something. And so, you know, when you're in the flow, like you, you do something you really love and you just, you feel like it's all clicking in the flow. That's that's how I felt about it. And luckily, my parents were, although they thought I was going to starve, they let me try. They They didn't judge. They let me try. So getting an art degree at one of the best schools in the country was a little strange, but it actually all comes back to what I do today. So it actually ended up making a lot of sense. Andy Warhol being one of Mm -hmm. your favorites, as you know, he did some Coke pieces too. He did. I'm just curious, do you have a favorite Coke art piece? There is a painting that hangs in someone's office today called The Lady in Red. Uh, You may have seen it before. It is this fierce, beautiful, just uh, image of this woman, The Lady in Red. And I don't know, there's something about it that to me, she expresses power and kind of knowledge ahead of herself and just confidence. I think that's an amazing one. But I love the early stuff. So, and I seem to sort of navigate to the ones and connect to the ones with with women and minorities because I think it's so cool that the people ahead of myself at the company were always kind of breaking the barrier of what was expected in communications with 
the first African-American featured in an advertisement or the boys on the bench and and women in advertising. I just think it's super cool. So I like that kind of part of some of the things we see in the archives. Tell me about your first team, your first oh, boss. Gosh. Okay. So I, I mean, to be really honest with you, I was less worried about the boss. I was just trying to figure out if they were going to figure out if I could do this or not. You know, the old imposter syndrome. So it was me and my buddies kind of working on, we were working on promotions, which is when you take a brand and a property and put it on the packages and make things that consumers will be interested in having them together. So the first team was just a bunch of young, scrappy kids who were newly hired, having the time of their lives. The thing that was so interesting is that they gave us a lot of leash. You know, you think about these monster brands and these monster properties, and the company never questioned that we didn't know what we were doing. And so we had a, we were, we had a great time, a small group, before we were all married, um, very kind of fun. And so I just, it was a really good crew. And actually a couple of them are still there. And uh, it's almost like your freshman year in high school or college. You just, there's some sort of bond there that you never forget. But uh, my first team, I think if I really close my eyes and think about it, it was exciting. It was dynamic. It was familiar. It was fun. And uh, it was youthful and very spun- spunky, I guess I would say. Can you tell me a little bit more about your path at Coke. Once you've got the first job, this first team, you've moved departments a lot. Yeah. Tell us more about that and what you've learned along the way. Yeah. So it's a, I, I said when, apparently I said when I first started at Coke about a couple years in, apparently I said to my mother a story about when you sign up for Coke, they give you a really long piece of rope. She asked, what is the rope? And apparently I said to her, you can climb over things, you can pull yourself through things, and you can swing to the stars if you want to. It's, to your point, it's a very kind of, um, it's not as hierarchical. You don't have to be as linear in your progression. I always thought that was a cool thing about Coke. I still think it's a cool thing about Coke. The company believes in the potential of the brands and the potential of the individual and the potential of the longevity of the business. And, of course, um, in our consumers and our customers and our partners. And because the company believes in things that are less about the it's the department that runs something, it, it becomes about what's best for that end outcome, the consumer, the marketplace, the consumer, the brands. And so I think um, I bounced around because they let me. Uh, if you think about my art brain, I'm, I'm not an engineer, so I don't, the linear thing to me would make me crazy. I found that it was very easy to keep learning and discover stuff that I didn't know about. And luckily, the company was very patient with me in some jobs that I took that I wasn't great at or that I didn't like, uh, but I needed to learn it uh, to get where I am today. And so it's sometimes it's not a clear path. I call it my indirect path to now, but it's absolutely formative to making me a holistic uh, leader. So, But I think you have to be brave, and I think you have to be clear, and you have to try stuff. You are going to fail more than once, many more times, and you got to just believe in what it is that you're doing and that the company's got your back. In your current job that you have, just take us through what a typical day looks like, what you do on a typical day. Oh, gosh. There is no typical day. (laughs) (laughs) You can even start by telling us what time you set the alarm clock and just kind of walk us through. So my current job today, I have um, the privilege of working on all the marketing for all the brands in collaboration with most of many other folks. It's not just me. 
Um, and then I, and that would be things like advertisements or packaging or promotions or working with our bottlers or our customers. And then I have the sparkling brands, so the big brands with bubbles. Everybody loves bubbles, by the way. My typical day is not typical at all. So, and it starts very early. So I'm either up at 4.30 or 5 a.m., usually either self-inflicted or by an animal in my house who needs to go outside. And why people ask me all the time, why do I get so, up so early? Does the company make me get up that early? No, it's just sort of my preparation time. I am relentlessly prepared all the time getting organized. Um, a typical day has a lot of meetings with a lot of different people and a lot of different topics. We can be talking about a new package. We can be talking about a bottler production line. We can be talking about an ad. So it's a very kind of dynamic, uh, substantive uh, series. But usually a lot of my time I'm spent listening to to my guys, my team, and sort of trying to suss out what they need in support. What is it that they're afraid of? What do they need me to help them with? And sometimes I'm not deciding stuff. I'm just validating. I'm just listening and kind of coaching along. So very kind of iterative day, but never the same thing twice ever. One of the things we've been thinking about is like the life of a Coke, right? Yes. So it starts the ingredients going to the bottle, packaging, consumer shelves all the way to home. Yep. So it seems like you touch it in a number of different a number places. Of ways. For my responsibility, sitting where I sit, is one of the foremost people to work on our World Without Waste commitment. Because if the biggest business in the biggest market who has uh, production of a lot of cans and bottles doesn't take it as mine. I find it as a personal charge for me. If I can't decide stuff that can help downstream, then we won't get there. Where does marketing fall into this um, this value chain? Yep. So I think of it, marketing is a fancy way for saying having a conversation with someone and having a connection with someone. So at any point that we are having a conversation with a customer or a bottling partner or an associate or a consumer, uh, marketing plays a role. Marketing can be communicated at the shelf through packaging. It can be communicated on your TV or radio or a podcast. It's, um, it's the kind of voice you're having with the consumers. It's almost like sitting at a, a dinner table or a you know, when you go out to dinner at someone's house, the conversation that you have with someone sitting next to you, that actually is uh, how I think about brands and marketing. So they touch every point. Um, and marketing's not just fluff. There's a lot of analytical rigor and science behind marketing, kind of consumer behaviors, high uh, statistical models determining behavioral patterns and dynamics of who's doing what and why they're doing it. And so that's important because it helps explain to people why we want to do stuff. Uh, why is it that we think we need to put a smaller can out there? Uh, is it just because we want to do it? It's nice that we would like to do it, but it's got a bigger reason based on the need from a consumer, if, if that makes sense. Makes total yeah. sense. Yeah. And I love that you describe kind of the art and science, art and science of yeah. marketing because we're looking to understand and and then successfully meet the needs of our consumers. Yeah. And it's funny because I think sometimes people think marketing, I said the word fluffy, it is a business mindset. There's a lot of art, but you cannot get to the art until you've completed the science, which is actually a really interesting contrast that I'm not sure too many people know. And a lot of people who work on the brand, they feel like they own those brands. They feel like they're their businesses. 
and they run them and they and they love them and they treat them like they're their businesses. And so it's just that's one cool thing about marketing at Coke is that you can borrow the brand for a little bit and learn a lot about your own ability to run a business and your own entrepreneurial spirit and how empowered you are. It, it's it's very it's a very cool place to demonstrate and learn how you're going to manifest the growth behaviors and how you're going to be a business person. Our newest ad draws on this popular culture icon, Andy Warhol. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more about a Coke to Coke? Yeah, so um, it might be it might have been some balloon on it. I told you earlier that I I love Andy Warhol, but I've always said uh, there's kind of two things that guide Coke. Uh, marketing. The first is a Coke is a Coke is a Coke, whether it comes in a bottle, a can, or a cup. That's kind of my little, it's not a haiku, but I call it a haiku because it sounds nice and poetic. What does that really mean? Why do I believe that? It just means that no matter how you like your Coke, however it's delivered to you, it's still a Coke, which means that it needs to be the promise of what a Coke is, refreshing, uplifting, delicious, indescribable, purposeful, optimistic, you know, inclusive, all those things. So the Warhol um, quote, a Coke is a Coke, is exactly about that. If you look at the whole paragraph, he talks about how a president can drink it and everybody has access to it. And so a Coke is a Coke is a great, uh, it's a great manifestation of what I call Coke is, um, it's like a tent that everybody can come into. Everybody's welcome. And it's a promise of a better tomorrow. I mean, that is at the core what Coca-Cola is about. It's just who we are. 22 years of Coke, you've seen lots of changes for sure. (laughs) Um, So Blackberries have sort of come and gone. I miss my Blackberry. I like the keyboard. (laughs) (laughs) I do. I like the little clicking. I felt very, it was like instant gratification. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, I just dated myself. No, it's okay. My first phone was a Blackberry. Uh Double thumbs. We've all been there, right? (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Instagram has replaced, you know, photo albums, textings has replaced voicemail, et cetera. So Coke is a Coke is a Coke. It's been that way 132 years, but we're in a different place mm-hmm. now. So mm-hmm. we're looking at things from a total beverage perspective. Yep. How does that fit into our new growth strategy and how do you approach that, you know, in your work? Uh, and this, by the way, is a great business to be in. This category is continually growing. It's interesting because we've got to make sure in the growth behaviors that we always remember who's in charge. So if the consumer is in charge and they want a different choice of beverages, that we need to make sure that we are iterative and agile and that we can get stuff done uh, fighting against historical paradigms that may limit us to give them what they need. What I've observed about the growth behaviors is when we get it right, we see that energy from our employees. It reignites their enthusiasm about why they love their job. Tell me more about your growth behavior that either you struggle with the most or yeah. one that you're actively focusing on right now. I think the one that's hardest for me is iterative because I working in a company with brands that are over 130 years old and having the responsibility of making sure you don't do something that's going to damage um, these, you know, these brands, and you have more flexibility on some of the smaller brands. Brands are promises to people. They're ideas in people's minds of something that they stand for. So brands are like people. When you describe a brand outside of the functional kind of attributes of a brand, you describe characters of individuals and personalities. 
which means that you've got to make sure you you don't def- defy those characters and values of a brand. So iteration, although I have it very deeply embedded in me in my personal life, sometimes I get a little scared to iterate on things that are so established in people's minds inside our building and outside of our buildings. I want to learn more about your perspective on women in business. Yeah. You know, we see women taking roles in leadership more now than ever. What um, was your aha moment around what the impact could be if we empowered more women to be in leadership in business? Yeah, it's funny because um, I, I, I always just wanted to do great, right? I wanted to do the right thing. I wanted to perform. I'm personally very competitive. And so I was always working to try to find a place where I could have, uh, I told you earlier that I felt like I had a purpose that I had to fulfill, that, that I could find a place where I could actually leverage the seat to make a difference. Along the way, I realized that there was this thing called uh, gender that was sort of always following me behind, following behind me. And, um, you know, I'm the mother of two daughters. Uh, They're amazing creatures. But I think I always knew it was important for women in leadership and and even at all levels because we are a very, um, we are feeling creatures. But for me... Sometimes it would I would get reminded that I was a girl. I mean, like I need to be reminded that I'm a girl. I know I have a guy's name, but I mean, I don't need to be reminded that I'm a girl. <laughs> and I always was. I'm always surprised when that happens. I'm always think, why is that really necessary for you to point out that I'm a girl? Mm-hmm. It, I have two two trains of thought on it. Women control most of the, the commerce in the U.S. and in the world. Uh, women control most of the shopping decisions. And so the force of making sure we support them and and uh, we are there for them is a, a business case that to me is empirically proven. So I think being having women in leadership is just as important, that acknowledgement, as, as understanding what it is to be a guy in leadership too. And so for me, it's what is the common connection there? We need us both and we all need to participate but we have different strengths and skills. And so if we can figure out what those are and move on and get out into the marketplace and really make a difference, that to me is going to be Valhalla for us to be able to stop talking about this contrast of one over the, over the other. Or I just want us all to be included. I know you said that you're a mother and a wife first, yes. employees second. Yes. So just kind of want to hear what prompted that definition for you. It's a reminder for myself because sometimes the choices that I've made don't necessarily pay off that statement. It, it's really, it's impossible to do it all, but I, boy, I tried. <laughs> and so uh, a mother and a wife first, uh, as you course through life, right, you're, you're going to delight people and you're going to disappoint people. And so I always tell, tell my children, just be mindful of who that is on either end of the spectrum. And so I try to always, even though I'm not always available and always home, I try to remember from a mindset, a commitment, and a kind of a spiritual perspective, being a wife and mother first guides everything because that's my value system Uh, and an employee second. Even though Coke has been incredibly generous to me and defines me in in many, many ways, 
it's not the ultimate thing that defines me. Earlier in your career, you showed up at your daughter's event, and she said, yes. there's a unicorn the sighting, The unicorn right? sighting. Just help yes. us with that. Walk I us had, through that. So people call me the unicorn for a lot of reasons, but the, the name started, so my oldest daughter, who's now 18, she is a great athlete. And so she had, she's a three-season athlete, so there are a lot of events. And you guys know, I mean, they have events at like 3.30. There is zero chance that I can get there. And so oftentimes, more than often, I was not there. My husband, who is an amazing, incredible person, showed up to everything. I think he's missed one game in an entire career, so he's exceptional, many levels. He calls me and tells me that there's this really important volleyball game, okay? So we are well into the season. She's probably a freshman in high school. I I can't remember. And they're sitting on the floor in the gymnasium, and I come flying in, you know, with my suit on and my big bag, but I am there. And I come rounding around the corner, and as they're sitting on the floor, it's about eight of them, they look up, and she says to me and all her friends in full voice, oh, look, there's a unicorn sighting. And I was like, well, unicorn sighting? I'm looking around, no unicorn. And then she proceeds to say, it's a mythical beast that no one ever sees. And um, it was quite a moment. And I could have taken it two ways, right? I could have been destroyed by it, or I could have learned from it, or I could have talked to her about it. But it just, it reminded me again that this journey we're all on at work includes many people. Yeah, and she was joking, and she, we have our families very tight, and they're very clear on why we've all agreed that this is the path that I want to take. But I can't, I'd be lying to you if I told you that I just didn't feel it in the very pit of my stomach. Because it, it was true. I, I had made choices and missed things. I think um, I've always wanted people to do what they need to do. I I really am not a crazy person about uh, where you are when work gets done. If the work's getting done to the level it needs to be done, uh, it doesn't matter to me how it gets done in your own personal style. And in this crazy world where you have aging parents, new kids, uh, significant others, whatever it may be, uh, you can't ignore that fact that life continues on. And so... Um, I think I've always tried to be very open to that. The other thing that it's, I I didn't really realize this was going to happen, but I've become sort of a harbinger for young mothers at Coke. When they hit their wall and they are about to quit and they just can't make it anymore and they're in that kind of zone where you just, and young young fathers too, but less so young fathers. I've probably talked to hundreds of young mothers at Coke to sort of get them through the fact that they're going to make it and everybody else. And so unintentionally, it has become sort of one of my things um, to make sure it's my responsibility as sort of one of the, you know, I guess, uh, older states people, older unicorn, to, to make sure that you under, you enable those folks who are behind you to understand the journey you've been on and that it is, in fact, okay to go see your daughter's you know, event or to, you know, cut yourself a little slack and come in late one day. I mean, because Coke people, they're very humble. They are very complex. They are very smart, very competent, but they are very responsible, very responsible. And they feel a a sense of guilt and requirement that it is really interesting. I'm not sure why that is. And so sometimes you've got to make sure that people know it's okay to, to be fallible and to do what you need to do. If you need to go to the dentist, goodness gracious, go to the dentist. Or if you just need a little break. So it's I, that's kind of my stance on leadership. Um, 
I think that's how it's influenced me. Stuart, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you more. Thank you so much for having me. Very inspiring. Thank you, guys. On the next episode of Total Refresh. Just in general, when I think about empowerment, I think not only about what do I have the decision rights at, but how am I as an individual deciding what is the best course of action we should take and how am I going to influence the people that I need to influence to take that course of action because I believe in it that much. Stay refreshed by subscribing to Total Refresh on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere podcasts are found. Total Refresh is a production of the Coca-Cola Company in partnership with Frequency Media. We're your hosts, Jamal Booker and Catherine Cherry. The show is executive produced by Michelle Corey and Rose Reed and produced by me. Cooper Skinner is our sound engineer and editor. Our music is composed by Thomas Avery at Tune Welders. And our artwork is by Tova Rosenberg. A special thanks to all the Coca-Cola employees who made this podcast possible.